title of my message this morning is He Trains My Hands for Battle. He trains my hands for battle. Uh, Psalm 144, this is David speaking. He says, praise the Lord who is my rock. So my rock, my foundation, my solid place. He's my, he goes before me. He goes behind me. He's all encompassing. He's my rock. He's my stable place. And he says this, he from that place trains my hands for war and gives my fingers skill for battle. I believe as Christians, we are called to be on the offense. I believe that the scripture has given us so many promises for what we can inhabit and what we can be a part of and what we can do in God's kingdom that we shouldn't be playing defense. We shouldn't be waiting for the enemy around every corner. Instead, we should be occupying all streets. Can I get an amen? Amen. And so there is this idea of we're on the offense. He trains us for battle. You know, the scripture says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but it's against powers and principalities and darkness of this world. It wouldn't take long for me to put up some news articles and show you some things that even happened this week. And we would be like, oh, that's not just bad behavior. That's evil. Are you with me? Why? Because we're in this battle against good and evil. And God has positioned his church and he's equipped you to live out what he's called us to. And so we're actually going to look into this for the next couple months. Next month, we have an incredible series called our You Say series, which is a testimony series. People in our church come together and uh, they film their stories of how God has worked in their behalf and in their lives. And then we show that for the month of August. Why? Because we believe uh, that God is a God who the scripture says is not a respecter of person, meaning if he did a miracle in somebody's life, he wants to do a miracle in your life. Amen. The scripture also says that we overcome so we win battles. We overcome by the blood of our by the blood of the Lamb in the word of our testimony. When we give glory to God, it's like this recycling. We give glory to Him and we honor Him, and then He pours out more. And so one of the ways we fight battles is with our word and with our testimony. So that's next month. And then starting in September, we're going to go through the armor of God. The scripture gives us position about how we should be battling and how we should be preparing ourselves for the days that we see. You know, the armor of God in scripture isn't like God being like, well, you know, the children's ministry is going to need some object lessons. So just talk about armor and that'll give them a few weeks. No, it's because these are ideas that we're all called to walk in and think on. And the scripture says daily you put on the whole armor. Having an understanding of what it is to be armored up in God is something we should do daily. And so we're going to be looking at this, what it looks like to battle. And um, because I believe the church has never lived in a better time than it is right now. There's this old saying that says your attitude determines your altitude. Your attitude determines your altitude, where you go, your attitude. Uh, I think it's Psalms or Proverbs, I'm not sure, but it says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so he is. It's the same thing as this idea. Like what you, what you let win the day in your heart is what you're going to walk in. And so if the church is over here thinking, oh, we're under attack. Oh, we're going to be surprised. Oh, we're going to be this. And we allow in our heart and in our attitudes this idea of defeat. We're never going to walk in and possess what God's called us to walk in. Can I get an amen? I feel like at times church has lost its fortitude. It's lost this ability to understand and believe that God promises us that the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. The scripture says Jesus told us plainly that I've given you all authority in heaven and earth. I've given it to you, my church, to do what? To go win the nations, to baptize people and to see them healed and set free and walking in freedom. 
But we have this attitude of, oh, no, we're going to get canceled. Oh. All authority has been given. The gates of hell will not prevail against you. In our hearts, we ought to be walking in power and authority and victory. Can I get an amen, Facebook? The gates of hell will not prevail. I thought about it like this. It's not going to be the lies of the enemy that hinder the work of the kingdom in this earth and in America. It's not all the lies of the enemy. It's going to be the silence of the church. It's when we don't stand up and talk about the things we need to talk about. You've heard me say this again and again. If we're not the first one, if you're not the first one to say something, then the second place person has to work to undo what the first person says. God has an idea about race. Are you with me? And so the church needs to be the first one saying something about racial reconciliation, sexual identity, all of the things that we're saying. The church needs to be saying something about them. But instead, we're silent. And therefore, the other agendas are leading the conversations. It's not going to be the power of darkness that hinders the kingdom and the move of God in our time and in our hour, but it's going to be the laziness of the believer. You've been given all authority. Now go win the nations. And we're preoccupied with the busyness and the things of life and climbing corporate ladders and achieving more and building bigger homes. We've got to be a people who say, God is training me for battle and I have a work to accomplish. So we've got to consider this. We all, there's two characteristics of God we see in scripture. Uh, We see one, he's described as a lamb. We love that. Uh, We see the meekness of the lamb. We see the kindness. We see uh, the sacrificial lamb that went to the cross on our behalf, Jesus. And and we love that. We love to see that. But then also the book of Revelation describes Jesus as a lion, as the lion of Judah, as somebody who has a roar as somebody who knows how to push back and stand up. And so as much as I appreciate the lamb, I also think that the church needs to find an hour where they roar like a lion, where they've taken their position saying, hey, meekness is important and kindness and compassion and love and humility and all of those things matter. But there also comes a time where you protect your tribe. Are you with me? Where you stand up on the behalf of the defenseless. Um, I thought about it like this. The lamb went to the cross on our behalf, but the lion came out of the grave. In the lamb, we walk in, and we walk in meekness and humility and all that kind of stuff. But it's going to be the lion on the inside of us that allows us to get up when we're buried by the things of this world. I thought about this, Lion King. You know, in our family, it goes the Bible and then Disney, you know. And I, I know you guys don't like that, but I don't care. But one of the greatest, most biblical scenes you could ever see is the scene in The Lion King where Simba has gone to the elephant graveyard and all those hater hyenas are surrounding him and they're laughing and they're making a mockery of the child of the king. I mean, you're tracking with me. And so the hyenas are, ha, 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 oh, this is, this is Mufasa's boy. Ha, 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 oh, look, what have we got here, right? They're doing that. And they're talking trash at him and they're, did you see the movie or we got to put it on? Somebody got to, ooh, ha, ha, ha. And I just wonder if the world's doing the same thing. we got a bunch of clown hyenas getting up around the children of God. And they're going, oh, ha, ha, look at those Christians. Ha, ha, ha. They think that they can walk in signs and wonders. Ha, ha, ha. They think that they're going to. Are you with me? Yeah, and you got to remember little Simba. Little Simba goes, rawr. Like, tries to give it his best, right? He does like a, rawr. And the world's like, ah, ha, look at them. They're trying. They're over there trying to. They think through 21 days of prayer and fasting, they're going to change this. Rawr. But then a time came 
where he found that roar. Are you with me? Where that Mufasa showed up on the scene behind him and a roar came forth. Are you with me? I believe we're living in an hour where a roar is about to come forth of the church, but we've got to be... We've got to be ready to fight. We've got to be ready. And I'm not talking fight people, not flesh and blood. We've got to be ready to stand for what we know is good and true on behalf of others. Are you with me? I put it down like this. All of God's promises are occupied with opposition. Isn't that the worst? <laughs> All of God's promises are occupied with opposition. You say, I don't know if I fully believe that. Salvation is free. The rest we fight for. It's all free. It's all been given. It's all been done through the work on the cross. But the old preachers say it like this. It's a fight from the womb to the tomb. We're wrestling against darkness and principalities and things that we got to be in position. We got to let God train us so that we're equipped to accomplish what he's called us to. Uh, you say, how do you know that so confidently? Well, we saw the picture of it when Israel was promised the promised land. Hey, I've promised you this land flowing with milk and honey. This is your inheritance. This is your promise. However, before you get there, there's going to be the opposition of the Canaanites. And so we see God's got great promises and future for us. But at first, we have to overcome these things in our lives. And so they battled and they battled flesh. They battled themselves. They battled all these things as God put them through this training before they could inhabit it. What I'm trying to say is before we can have peace, we've got to learn to make it through fear. Before you can have joy, you've got to learn to wrestle and, and let God train your hands for battle against depression. Well, before we can ever have unity, we've got to learn to push aside pride and division and segregation before we can ever walk in unity. Before healing, we've got to learn to be able to stand in faith on the promises of God. That's why the scripture says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. What's the scripture saying? That there's action required on our behalf. He trains our hands for battle, or one translation says, for war. What does that mean? It means he trains us for action. He doesn't train us for Sunday school. He doesn't train us for potluck Sunday. He doesn't train us for fellowship. All those things are fine. But there is a time where we're called to action, to stand up on those for those who don't have a voice. Yeah. With me today. Yeah. I hate this. Sometimes I read scripture and I'm just like, ah, oh, I hate that that's in there, you know? And this is one of those I've been talking to my friends about. Paul is writing in Corinthians. And so in this letter, 1 Corinthians, he's writing to people, the church, who have questions. But then he's also writing to them about our behavior and how we should walk. And so he's given us this, this really interesting idea about how we would move forward. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 5, he's just kind of chatting, but I want, I want to get to the whole thing. He says, I'm coming to visit you after I've been to Macedonia, for I'm planning to travel through Macedonia. Perhaps I will stay a while with you, perhaps all winter, and then you can send me on my way to the next destination. Pause. That's him being like, I'm going to need a love offering to go to the next destination. <laughs> it goes all the way back to there. Perhaps you could maybe take up some money and go fund me. This time, I don't want to make it a short visit and go right on. I want to come and stay a while if the Lord will let me. In the meantime, I will be staying here at Ephesus until the festival of Pentecost. Here's the part I don't like. It says, there is a wide open door for a great work here, although many oppose me. He says, the deciding factor for why I'm going to stay here is because I've found a place where there's great opportunity and great opposition. Oh, I hate that. Oh, I found it. This is the spot. This is the spot that God's going to use me. Well, how do you know God's going to use me? Because there's great, great opportunity and great opposition. 
And when those two things are in a place, it makes up a recipe for a great move of God. God, I want to be used by you. God, I want my purpose fulfilled. God, I want to walk in my calling. But I'm looking at the scenario and I see great opportunity, but I see great opposition. And he says, oh, this is a good place for me to stay. We love the part in the beginning. I see a wide open door. Yes, Lord, wide open door. We love wide open door. That sounds awesome. Everything easy in God. We love everything easy in God. Er, opposition. Why? Because you got to be trained. It's something to fight for. And so he says, I'm staying here. I thought to myself, like, why don't we fight? Why, why do we have this hesitancy to fight for stuff? Why, why don't we fight in the kingdom? Why don't we fight for stuff? And I'm going to be honest with you. When I begin to think about the things that I fight for, I fight for things that belong to me. You ever have somebody steal something of yours? You're mad about it. You're like, they just stole my, and then you're after them. I can't believe they stole my, and we're going to get after, and you stay on it until you get that thing back. But maybe you're in a situation where you think somebody just stole something that wasn't yours, and you're like, did you guys see that? They just stole that. Oh, well, (laughs) because it didn't belong to you. It's not yours. Hopefully, you do the right thing and report it, but you're not going tearing after them to get it back. Why? Because it didn't belong to you, but they come and mess with something that belongs to you. You're going after them. My wonder is, do we not fully believe that this earth, this time, this hour that we're in fully belongs to us and God's called us to do and work at it, that before we'd fight for it. We got to fight for it. We love these songs and we, we just sang them today. The battle belongs to the Lord. And that's so true. And you guys have heard me preach series on that before. We also love the scripture where God tells Moses, hey, just sit still. Just stay there in that place and watch the salvation of the Lord. I'm going to work on your behalf. And we believe in those things too. But there are many more times in scripture where God says, hey, I've trained you. I've prepared you. I've equipped you. I'm with you. Now move. Go into action. Go take territory. Can I get an amen? Amen. The prophet Mike Tyson says, (laughs) everybody thinks they can fight until they get punched in the mouth. Christians, oh, I'm so full of the word. Oh, I worship every day. I have quiet time every day. I never miss it. And we say all these things. And then you get scooched out into the ring. And it's time for that to be an action. In the first punch, you're running for home. Am I telling the truth today? And we say, oh, look at me. I'm so built up in the Lord until it's go time. We've got to allow God to train us and prepare us for action. Many people get confused. I think we should change the way that we talk. We walk around all the time. Oh, I'm in a trial. I'm in a trial. I'm really in a trial. The enemy's really after me. What if we could change our language and just say, I'm really in training The Lord's really training me right now. What I'm walking through right now is not something that's going to take me out. Instead, it's something that's going to prepare me for what God has for me. And I'm going to stand in this trial, or in this training. I'm going to hold firm in this because I know it's going to produce what I need for the victory. Uh, I'm worried that we've boiled down spiritual fitness, if you will, into this idea of, oh, I walk with the Lord. I listen to podcasts. I listen to worship music. I'm, I'm trained. I don't think the enemy's afraid of us listening to sermons and music all day long. He gets afraid when you start signing up for things that's going to put you in action and start serving on behalf of others. Are you with me? Or when you stop in the grocery store to pray for somebody or you take some time to write a check that's a generous one. Are you with me? Oh, no, no, I'm, but you don't understand. I listen to 12 podcasts a week. I'm so filled up. But if you don't do anything with it, 
And we got this young generation that's so full of godly information, but no application. I thought about this when I, uh, I, I told you guys I started golfing again. I golfed a lot when I was like real young, teenager, and I got back into it. And uh, I could hang in the room with anybody who knows golf, and I could talk all of the language. I know about open face, closed face. I know about swing pattern. I know all of the things that you need to know. I can literally tell you everything. Why? Because I've read all the books. I've watched all the videos. I have a golf coach. I, I, I can tell you all of the things that I need to know. But guess what? When I get out on that tee box and I have to hit a tee shot, are you, are you understand what I'm saying? You guys think I'm good. So you're like, I don't know. What happens? You hit it good? I don't hit it good, just so you know. <laughs> I have all the information. I have all the know-how. I know all the things. But I have to take that information and put it into action before I can have accomplishment. Are you with me? And so that's us, us Christians walking around. We know all these things. We do all these things, but we're not putting ourselves in position to go out there and live it out. People say, oh, this season that I'm in, like, why is God making me wait? Why is he making me wait? Because he's training you in the area of patience. He's developing patience in you. Oh, why is God making me deal with this? This is unfair. I can't believe this happened to us. Why would God allow this to happen? Because he's developing meekness in you. Because meekness is power responsibly. Jesus says, don't you know that I could call down all this legion of angels? Don't you know that I could do this? But because I have meekness, I'm using my power responsibly. So in this season, I'm learning meekness. Well, God, I want influence. I want to be able to influence people. I want to be able to reach a generation. All the big words we say in church, I want to be able to. And God's like, yeah, I'm I'm training you in your integrity. Because if I gave it to you all right now, you would mess it up. And so we have to say, okay, God, you're training my hands for battle. I'm preparing for this. Can I get an amen? amen? Five points for you, and they're really quick. But this is talking about how a trainer trains us in our life. Number one is this. Even the greats need a trainer. Christians are the only people who think they can excel without assistance. I hear it all the time. People are like, no, I'm good. My spiritual life, it's, it's private. It's for me. Me and the Lord have a good time, but we don't, we don't need small group. We don't need this stuff. We don't need to come to classes like I'm good. We're like the only people in the world that resist help, and we think we got it figured out. Michael Jordan had a trainer in his prime. Kobe Bryant had a, Tiger Woods had his trainer in his prime. Think about this one. Celine Dion has a vocal coach. That poor person. Like, what can you say to Celine Dion? (laughs) Why? Because they understand that you need people to see things that you can't see, to be able to notice things that you're not noticing. We all have blind spots. Can I get an amen? But Christian's like, oh, no, it's private. It's between me and the Lord. I'm good. No, we we need to allow, allow God to train us through other people in our life. They say with the NFL draft, which is college kids who come out of college and they get drafted into the NFL, they do a study of the, the kids that don't make it, the kids who had great promise but didn't make it into a great NFL career. It's not that they got drafted to the Lions, I mean wrong teams. <laughs> it's not that. It's, it's what they begin to notice is that these, these young athletes, once they made it to the NFL, they surrounded themselves with people who just made them feel good instead of encouraged them to grow. What they said was they built a circle who wanted them to feel good over do well. I think that we're building churches that are raising up people and speaking to people just to make them feel well instead of teaching them how to do good. And we're missing the mark and we're missing the purpose. We have got to allow people to come in and train us and encourage us and speak into our lives. 
you know, in boxing, they have the corner guy, the corner trainer. There's multiple people in the corner, but I love the corner guy because the guy comes back and sits down. His nose is crooked. His eyes swollen. Shut. He's like, oh man, I don't know. He's like, no, you're doing great. You look awesome. You won that one. He's <laughs> just speaking life over him. But trainers are important. They get to the corner and they say, man, don't quit. Yeah, you might have lost that one, but we got four more. Come on, let's just get this finished. And you start speaking life over them. We need trainers in our life. Uh, some of us have the wrong people in our corner. You know, there's a cut man if you got a cut. And so dude's all cut up. And so the cut man quick jumps up there and fixes up the cut. And then you have the water guy spraying water in there because, you know, you need hydration. And so it's important. You get to the corner and you get the right people doing the right things. If you get the wrong people in your corner doing the wrong things... And they start shooting water on the cuts and spraying the Vaseline in your mouth. It's not going to work. And that's what some of you guys are doing. You're running to the corner of all these people in your life that have no business treating you. But, but they make you feel good or they're the first one there. Are you with me? I put it down like this. Our corner is not for isolation. It's for rejuvenation. Many of us are just running to the corner to isolate and to hide out. Well, I got hurt or, oh, they offended me. And oh, I didn't like when they said that. And so now I'm going to go to my corner and I'm going to pout. And I'm going to, no, we go to the corners of our lives so that we can get rejuvenated, so that we can get back out there because God has a work for us. Number two, this is a fun one. Everyone who loves you can't train you. Everyone who loves us can't train us. Or everyone who loves you can't train you. Uh, my wife has started golfing with me. And we're having a great time golfing. And uh, because we have familiarity with each other, when she's golfing and I try to help her, I say, oh, well, hey, maybe you need to do this. She's like, maybe you need to go do this. <laughs> yeah. And then my feelings are hurt. And I fill out a prayer request and send it to the team. <laughs> Just kidding. I'm not kidding about what she says to me. <laughs> Some of you, you know, familiarity. You got these people in your life. You're not going to be able to hear from them. You're not going to be able to receive from them. And so the problem is stuff goes on and everybody starts calling people who are going to give them the answers they want to hear. You need to get somebody in your life who can speak into your life, who can tell you the truth, who can see your blind spots. That's why we think counseling is so important. That's why we think coming to classes are so important. You need people in your life that can tell you the truth. Can I get an amen? Uh, when... Uh, when we help people in counseling, I really don't counsel that much, uh, but my mother-in-law is a counselor, and so time to time I'll help her and help other people, and we will take counseling, but people will come to us, nobody in this church, so don't start judging people, I'm not talking about anybody, but people will come to us, and I'm like, man, our life's a mess, oh my gosh, we need so much help, can you meet right now, we're such a mess, oh, it's an emergency, okay, the train was off the track, all the wheels have fallen off, like, oh, we're a mess, oh, we... Okay, so we meet and we talk and we give them strong structure and here's how you're going to fix it and here's what we need to do. And then the next day, they don't want to do any of that strong accountability, so they call and they say, we decided we're going to... I'm like, well, we are the reason you're in that problem. Why are you listening to we? Am I telling the truth today? So many of you are doing the same thing. God's training you. He's leading you. He's speaking to you. He's encouraging you to go this way, to give up that addiction, to surrender this thing to him, to push it. And you're saying back to God, well, I decided. He's like, are you with me today? You got to go to proven people. My golf coach, the reason I chose the golf coach I chose is because he's a professional golf coach. He's led college universities as a golf coach. He's a PGA certified instructor. He knows what he's doing. 
And so many of us, we have issues in our life, and we call Sister Bucket Mouth, who's just going to agree with us. <laughs> hey, I'm going through this thing. And she's like, you're right. They're stupid. You should kill them. Yeah, I should. <laughs> <laughs> and we're just blabbing and saying, instead of going to somebody who's certified, that can help you, that can train you, that can get you ready for the battle. Are you with me? Jesus is like, look at the fruit. You got to look at the fruit of everything. And so he, he, he talks about the tree that bears no fruit. He's like, that tree right there is opti- optically deceptive. It looks like it knows what it's doing. It looks like it knows what it's talking about, but there's no fruit on that tree. And so you got to inspect these people that are speaking into your life and make sure there's real fruit on that tree. Yeah. A trainer knows this. A trainer knows what I don't know and sees what I can't see. In my mind, when I go to hit a golf shot, I'm doing everything right. Everything they told me to do, I do it. But when a golf coach watches me, he says, oh, actually, your shoulder's doing this, your knee's doing this. Why? Because that's what a good trainer does. Comes in and says, hey, this and this and this. I'm so grateful that God gave us his word to be able to say, hey, you need to change this and stop doing it. Are you with me today? Uh, point number three is this. A trainer knows when to throw in the towel. You need some people in your life that can get behind you and throw in the towel for you and say, you need to stop doing that. You need some people that can come in your life and say, that right there, what you're doing, that gossip, that bitterness, that anger that you're allowing yourself to walk in, we're throwing in the towel on that on your behalf. Why? Because when a trainer throws in a towel, it says, hey, we're going to give this one up because we're going to go get back together and we're going to fix this thing and we're going to come out better. Was it Rocky? Spoiler alert. Can I give a spoiler alert? It's been like 40 years, right? (laughs) Remember when Apollo wouldn't let him throw in the towel? Isn't that what happened? Yeah. Then he died, right? Yeah. It, 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 no Rocky watchers. But you got to so, you go, you gotta go, hey, on your behalf, I'm calling this one for you because I love you. And true love tells the truth at the deepest form. Yeah. You can't keep going like that. We got to fix this. So you need people in your life who can tell you when it's time to cut it out. I think you just smack them in the back of the head, you know? <laughs> It would bless me the most as a pastor to see you guys walking around here, hitting each other in the back of the head. I saw your Facebook last night. Knock it off. Number four, a great trainer will start with your stance. Uh, this is just a point uh, that I literally noticed this weekend. I know it's not the most super spiritual one, but it's the truth. I was in a free throw competition over the weekend with one of the students uh, of our church, a really good basketball player, uh, Isaiah Boonstra. And, uh, and he beat me by one. But when we were doing this, we afterwards started talking about all the pre-free throw routines that different athletes have. Isaiah had a very specific one. I still have a specific one. And we were talking about all the different athletes. Why? Because most things that you do athletically, your trainer starts with your stance. In boxing, if you go to box, you can be too over the top. And if you're leaning, you can fall in. If you're too back on your heels, you'll go back. Stance, same thing in golf. If my stance isn't right, then everything else follows. I'm so grateful that God gave us his word as a stance that we can take. The problem that we're seeing is nobody has a stance anymore on anything. Nobody, we're all biblically illiterate. We don't know where we stand on anything. We need a trainer in our life who can get our stance right when it comes to how we love our wives, how we walk in marriage. Are you with me today? How we handle money, how we deal with identity issues and culture. We got to get our stance right before we can do anything. Um, I'll close with this if the keys want to come play. Point number five is this. A great trainer knows the difference between a round and a fight. A round in a fight. So a great trainer knows that just because the bell ring doesn't mean the fight's over. 
what's that got to mean? A great trainer is going to say, listen, don't confuse the loss of one round with the loss of a fight. I don't know. We got in a fight. I think our marriage is over. He said some really some mean things, and she said some even meaner things, and I think we need to throw, I think I heard the bell ring, I think the fight is over. No, a great trainer's gonna say, no, that was just one round. That, did, that doesn't mean the fight's over. Oh, I don't know my teens. Oh my gosh, you don't know what my teenagers were involved in. You don't know what they have to face. You don't know the pressure of what they're dealing with and how to react. How are they ever going to live the way God called them to? It's just one round. Yeah, but I heard that they said this and they said this and they, it's just one round. Because the scripture promised you, train up a child in the way that they should go. When they're old, they won't depart from it. You're going to lose a round. You might lose two rounds, but a good trainer is going to be at your side preparing your hands. Saying that this fight ain't over. It's going to put you back together and say, get back out there. Go win two more. Because we're not going to confuse the loss of one round. There's this thing. I used to do CrossFit. Uh, Eli Kaufman's here. Natalie, his wife, they own CrossFit Holland. If you're looking for an incredible way to work out with a great group of people, you should hit him up um, right over in, on River. Uh, but I used to do CrossFit several years ago. And uh, Eli told me I didn't have to come anymore. I graduated. I was CrossFit <laughs> enough. So... I miss those guys. I wish I could, but he said, don't. He gave me a little badge and stuff that said I did it. But in CrossFit, uh, the way that CrossFit works is there's a bunch of different scenarios. That's what makes it really fun. Sometimes it's like unlimited, as many rounds as possible. Sometimes a round is timed. Uh, sometimes you just have to kind of complete the, like the, the pattern that's set out for the day. But when you first start doing CrossFit and you get into like the routine for the day, because every day it's different and you're like doing the thing, you're trying to get through all the rounds, all of a sudden you're like, oh no, like I don't think I'm going to make it through the thing. Rarely that happened to me. Andrew feels that at CrossFit. (laughs) It was strongest amen of the day right there. Like, yes, Lord. Uh, Rarely happened to me, but you're like, oh no, like this, I'm not going to be able to complete, complete this. But after you did it for a little while, you started to like realize, like, nah, I just got to keep going. I got to keep going. And, then, and, and like Eli would walk around. If you've never met Eli, he smiles about everything. I'd be like, like, Eli, bro, you're on fire. He'd be like, yeah. It's the nicest, kindest smile. So he comes over. I'm like, Eli, I think I'm dying. He's like, you'll be good. <laughs> like, but he knew this. He knew the second wind was coming. And and any of you who work out or run a race or do anything, you know that you just got to keep pushing because all the things are going to kick in in your body and you're going to get that adrenaline rush. All of a sudden, this second wind kicks in. You're like, 